So, uh, before we begin our retreat, I would, um, I feel to invite uh, all the uh, forces of goodness, uh, of good intention within each one of us here, and the forces of that which is wholesome and good around us to bear witness to our retreat, uh, to invite that which can act as a support, as that which nourishes, as that which can carry us, this force of goodness, this force of beauty, um, of kindness, compassion, these energies innate to the human heart. May we invoke those within us and around us, and may these energies, this energy of goodness, wholesomeness, may it uh, guide us uh, through our journey this weekend and through the journey the bigger journeys that we take. I'd also like to very warmly welcome uh, every one of you to this retreat, this retreat centre of Gaia House. Um, It's very fortunate that we can come together to reflect on this very ancient and yet contemporary theme of mindfulness, of uh, the, the... the core factor of the path of awakening laid out by the the Buddha two and a half thousand odd years ago, which is still relevant to us in our human experience here and now, in the contemporary society that we live in with all the uh, intensity of it, the increasing intensity really of our our global situation, that... uh, There's an increase of interest in this capacity for mindfulness, how it can uh, speak to us, how we can practice it, how it's actually very practical, pragmatic, and yet transformative and in some ways mysterious in terms of what it opens us to. So I feel that it's a great um, privilege that we all have, a great honor that we all have to take time out of our lives, uh, even if it's only a weekend, you know, time is a very funny thing, but you know this can be significant to take this time, to have made the effort uh, to come here to this retreat center, to get through the flooding. Some of you have, <laughs> some people are still trying to get here. You might have got here before the rains came down. I did. I got here at about four o'clock, and then the heavens opened up, and we had a kind of monsoon. And um, there's been a lot of very deep flooding in the country lanes around Guy House, so some of the cars have got stuck and tractors have been out very dramatic. (laughs) Um, I think as Justin said, biblical (laughs) beginning of our retreat. But also very pertinent to, to us to be aware of, you know, this... Certainly, we're all aware of the climate change and the the power of that, but also one of the analogies that the Buddha gave for mindfulness is that which stops the floods, reverses the flood. And he was, of course, talking about the inner floods, not so much the external floods, but maybe they're related, actually. But the inner flood of what's called the flood of the power, the, the drivenness, the you know how we're compelled in in our human experience to keep uh, this experience of 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 seeking and looking for either the perfect situation or the right place or how it should be or the best situation how we're sort of 
constantly unsettled in our present moment. We, we can't find peace in the, in the actuality of, of being present here and now, that we're, we're sort of irritated somehow to keep this scanning of the world around us to find the perfect abiding place. And it's usually with this sense of it's in the future. We'll, we'll get there at some point, in some time, in some situation. So it's the activity of what's called ba'asava, which means the, the flood of becoming that we're, we're pushed along by in, in, our, in our daily life. And it's often very unconscious to us. We're, we're looking for the right person, the right place, the right situation, the right experience. I've been really contemplating this uh, quite a lot recently in terms of this thirst for experience that I have, that, that we have as human beings to, to constantly be quenched you know, the, to, 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 to be pushed on, to, to feel I must have some other experience. And how that robs us, you know, when we're, when we're under the sway of the power, it robs us of our ability to really feel a depth of well-being and peacefulness and contentment and profound, a, a, a depth of connectedness um, here and now. So this flood, so I hope over the weekend we can circle back to contemplate this idea that the Buddha had of mindfulness as that which stops the flood or returns um, the mind from its pouring out and seeking outward back into its own source, its own essence, its own beingness. I also um, <clears throat> like to welcome Mahesi, who I've asked, invited to join uh, us on the retreat and to help me co-facilitate this retreat. It's a big retreat. Um, I feel very, you know, so it's, I feel very pleased actually to have Mahesi here to support me, to support us, to support all of us in this practice. Mahesi's been a practitioner for about 30 years, Buddhist practitioner, was a monk for about 15 years in the forest school and I just really enjoy having I enjoy working with others and I enjoy whatever Mahesi has to say and reflect around this theme so um, I feel it's a great asset for us that he's agreed to come this weekend and join in um, and yeah, so I'd like to um, you know, tonight just to say a few words and then invite Mahesi to to reflect a little bit and whatever chant, chant and yeah. So before the, before just saying a little bit more about the theme and maybe some of the territories we'd like to um, hopefully come to and reflect on together in, in this retreat. I, I just want to talk a little bit about the form, um, the form of the weekend and the form of how retreats happen here at Guy House and to also acknowledge that uh, for some of you this is a first-time visit, perhaps the first visit to, to Guy House and perhaps your first retreat and, um, and it's probably very strange. <laughs> <laughs> to come into this this large building with with so many other people, and then suddenly everyone goes into silence. It is a really I, I, after years of doing retreats, I still always think they're very odd things. 
um, because it's a bit like going into another world, into another zone somehow, where we 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 learn to connect in a different way from being soci- socially engaged with each other, which is one way we can connect. It's a very lovely way we can connect. Sometimes fraught, sometimes lovely, but this is a way that we connect, not so much through our personality and through socialising. Um, and all that goes with that, but more through our beingness. We, we're in a way, uh, you know, the, a retreat form gives us permission to somehow rest a little beneath the the activity of our personality, and and our, you know, which we often express a lot through our speaking, through our social contact, which which you know is facilitates a lot um, in community and human life but it's also sometimes nice just to have permission to be able to move out of that and to to come together in a way that we support each other in this endeavor just to to rest a bit more deeply and feel into uh, this this awareness this this sense of our being this uh, this connection with a deeper current and flow of our nature which which is facilitated and helped through the through the practice of of silence, contemplative silence. So it's not a cold or distancing silence. It's not meant to be that. It's not. We're not coming and being in silence on this retreat because we, we we're trying to just block everything out. You know, we we can be open and connected, but we're allowing ourselves to to really be inducted through the activity of silence into this deeper listening. You know, to listen, you know, we, I mean, I think Mahesi and I, our role is to say things, <laughs> but in, in to hopefully inspire or guide or point out different areas and territories. But really, what we're here for, all of us, including Mahesi and myself, is really to for all of us to take the opportunity to really listen more deeply into where we are. What 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 are we with? And this is part of the activity of mindfulness. You could say mindfulness is the the, the skill in, 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 in this capacity to, to listen, to contemplate, to embrace uh, the fullness of our being. So mindfulness isn't really um, a word that sums up the totality of mindfulness. Uh, perhaps it should be heartfulness, bodyfulness, f- uh, filling being present to all the aspects of our being. Through this very simple activity of awareness, listening, uh, opening to, receiving, through kindliness... So the form of the retreat will be it will be held in this atmosphere of contemplative silence to enable us to contemplate, to bring into the the, the temple of awareness this idea of the word contemplate has in the heart of this word is the this idea of a sacred temple or a boundaried space as the temple the template. The template for this retreat is our awareness, 
and we bring into that awareness all the activity of our of the streams of our energy, the bodily energies, you know, the, the the external body, how we feel about the body, but more subtly the energetic flow of our body, the the, the rhythms of the body, the feeling tones of the body, the sensation of the body. So all of that's in a way invited into this activity of awareness. The, the stream of our mental activity, the, the, the thinking, the planning, the cognizant, that which, that, that which can know the world and usually knows the world as an object to, its, to itself, <laughs> designates the world through thinking uh, as separate from that which is experiencing this cognizant process, which is so powerful and often very unconscious, you know, labeling and naming and discerning, thinking about, thinking about ourselves, thinking about others, thinking about the world, but sometimes not really in touch with the nature of thought itself. You know, the thinking mind, in its own conditioned way, creating the world's inner worlds, projected out, that we then are compelled to to live through, to, to experience our life through. But this mindfulness or this awareness inviting this stream of energy, of the what's called the Vajji Sankara, the thought, mental energies, thinking processes to be reflected on, reflecting on the nature of thought itself. And perhaps energizing thought with our, you know, with such total commitment to it as a reality descriptive reality of ourselves I'm like this and I'm like that and you're like this and you're like that and this is like this according to our assumptions which may not be actually rooted in reality at all it's just our assumptions so inviting this very powerful dynamic of our being into this into this awareness so we can contemplate listen more deeply into this aspect of our nature. And then the, the third main stream of energy that's sometimes talked about in the Buddhist map is uh, the, the, the heart or the jitta. You know, the, 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 how we feel, the mood, the, the, uh, you know, the deeper sense of our beingness, which is often you know, sometimes very affected by thought, very affected by bodily sensation, and get stimulated into patterns of anxiety or fear or constriction or longing, disappointment, the kind of moods of the heart that we move through in a day that really shape the sense of ourself. To, To invite the jitta, the heart, into awareness with a sense of kindliness, to soothe the heart, with this practice of awareness. So on this retreat, the silence, this, this contemplative space allows this, invites, in a way we're inviting our being into our inner contemplation, into our inner temple, temple of awareness. So the silence supports that. The community of all of us doing this together adds power to that process. And then the schedule, the 
Um, there's a schedule for tomorrow, for Sunday, and you know, this is our vehicle. A schedule for a retreat is just what we all step into. One of my teachers, Ajahn Sujito, the forest monk, talks about a retreat schedule as a baggy suit. It doesn't fit anyone, <laughs> but somehow we all climb in it and we agree to wear it. Because it helps, you know, it it's helps us keep some cohesion. So we don't have to think about it or make it up. It's just there. We've done it already. It's written up. It's pinned on the board. And it's not a very dynamic or exciting schedule. But all the activities within the schedule, the walking, the sitting, meditation, the various contemplative times, instruction, Dhamma reflections, qigong, the bowing practice, which I'll talk about just now, if you wish to participate in that, some of the chanting, some of the dialogue, all of it really is there to help support this this uh, heightening of awareness, mindfulness. So in relationship, I mean, we all have relationship to when we're presented with a structure and a schedule, some of us feel compelled to follow every little piece of it and duty-bound, some of us feel rebellious and want to immediately do something else. <laughs> but we can notice all of that. We can notice you know, how we re- might react to someone else scheduling the day for us. Um, but what I would like to encourage is rather than seeing it as something imposed, as seeing it as there, it's an offering to support our, our retreat and for you to you know to feel which you do have permission to sense what is your the right relationship for you to the schedule so for some of you i i you know some of you have had maybe very busy working weeks or you're dealing with bodily uh, limitations in one way or another um, so you must just find your own way sometimes you might need to rest um, some of it you will join in some of it you might not so you know i we invite you to find your way in relationship to the schedule. And as we are, um, the retreat will be in silence. Um, we will have some time with some dialogue, some questions, but you know what, what will be helpful, I think, and in a way a more mindful way of doing it, is if you have some questions or some areas that you would like to be brought up for contemplation, maybe you can write that down and leave it here for Mahes and I to look at. So there's some time of uh, some consideration in the process. Um, so we'll have maybe one or two sessions where there will be some exchange and dialogue and, and inquiry. So uh, you know, any point if you if you come up with something you think would be really interesting to explore this area in relationship to the practice or the teachings, then then please do encourage you to write that down and then often one finds that there's common themes that start to emerge so we can we can address that so we'll bring some pen and paper here you know so these opening talks are always a for me anyway a little bit of a collage sorry if they're not it's not particularly a consistent theme, but one of the things that I'm aware of is that um, just briefly having a sense of of who's come on the retreat, that, that people have come from different 
backgrounds and interests. You know, there's different interests here, either as you know, long-term meditators that have come for a refresher or a bit of peace and quiet for a weekend, or some of you that are really interested in mindfulness-based uh, trainings in relationship to thera- therapeutic approaches. And you know the contemporary use of mindfulness. So I think that's very interesting. So hopefully we can we can have some chance to explore the different interests that you bring to the retreat um, and address them. I'm I'm amazed how one of the um, as you might have I don't know if you sometimes people come on retreats and they haven't read the bio or the retreat titles. <laughs> I've had that happen, but if you have, you might have noticed in my biography that that I work in South Africa. I've just actually came last week from uh, quite a long spell there, and one of the things I'm involved with is um, is a NHIV/AIDS outreach program, which works in the rural area where the Buddhist centre is, and. Um, it trains community care workers, and each of the community care workers goes out into the into the valley and um, attends to maybe twenty families each to try and see what their needs are. There's a, it's, it's a community in crisis. There's a very high infection rate. There's a very high mortality rate, and then there's a lot of fallout from that. You know, um, orphan, um, a high number of orphan orphan-headed households and. Um, um, families that are in some kind of um, needing food security, and it's very it's it's it's, it's a very demanding area. And I was interested that um, last year, I think it was last year, not so long ago, that someone came from the UK from Bangor University and started teaching and working with the community care workers through a translator using mindfulness-based stress reduction. <laughs> And I was I just very struck about how this emergence of this interest from something so ancient has begun to be translated in a secular language and applied in, in so many different situations, including in a in a semi literate valley where people are struggling with you know, really uh, in the middle of a pandemic and survival issues and yet there's something of use and value. Um, in this in this training of of uh, presence, the training of attentiveness, a training of perspective. I think in some ways a, dy- a dimension of mindfulness is to to be able to have a transcendent perspective in relationship to what we can again feel flooded by or overwhelmed by. How to hold the heart in its own integrity, in relationship to that which can really erode the sense of well-being a sense of rootedness to a, a deeper level of connection, yeah. a deeper level of, of uh, spiritual connection, which is uh, nourishing. And, you know, in, in working with the Zulu community, it's very easy for them to understand that. <laughs> they have a very strong sense of the spiritual. Mm. So that was very... Very wonderful. So, I just um, a couple more things I'd like to mention. I'd like to then invite Mahesi to. Yeah, say something and yeah. So, yeah. So, and then we'll do a meditation. And also aware that many of you have travelled, so you will want to to maybe rest.
Ähm ja, so So talking about mindfulness is that the practice of that which replaces maybe the reactivity to to our experience with this sense of presence, contemplation, awareness. Um, and talking about mindfulness is that which stops, reverses the flood of this experience of what in Buddhist language is called sangsara, this endless wandering and seeking for the, the, a better thing or the next thing, that which reverses that flow of the mind, the jitta, the flow of the heart, and brings it back into relationship to its own source and to its own nature. And mindfulness in Buddhist um, practice is really, really at the heart. It's really the heart of Buddhist practice. It's so... Um, it's and 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 yet it's something that is so um, it's so practical, but it's so dynamic, so very dynamic in terms of its relationship ultimately to the Buddha. When he laid out his teaching, he was his main approach, his main focus was on the liberation of the heart from forms, all sorts of forms of suffering, self-imposed suffering, suffering from the ignorance of the mind. The ignorance of the heart, the false assumptions, and the activity of mindfulness is really that which can bring that about. So I'd like to, at some point in the weekend, really come back to looking at this, this from this, this whole range, from the, the way the mindfulness, say, in the Zulu community, in the mindfulness-based stress reductions and therapeutic approaches, helps in some ways um, to manage life better. <laughs> helps us to manage life, it helps us perhaps to be happier, more fulfilled, more give more perspective, more choices. When there's mindfulness, one has more choice, one's just not driven by patterns and habits. It helps transform negative tendencies. It has all these attributes and yet it also has this transcend this has this transcendent dimension. It's more mysterious, transcendent, transformative dimension. So to in the weekend, I, I you know hope we can touch into this sort of the multifaceted aspects of the practice of mindfulness um, from from you know, from its the, the, the heart of its uh, its its, its uh, you know as as we apply it the ability to to liberate the heart to its application in in very practical everyday circumstances to steady to access well-being to transform that which is hinders us and to access the qualities of of you know, really um, innate qualities of heart and mind that are that are healthy that have innate strength innate wellness innate compassion So, you know, so again, I'm I'm really pleased that we can have this opportunity and uh, welcome you and encourage you to, you know, to see this weekend as an opportunity to uh, to let go of 
<laughs> stresses and strains, things that worry you, and to really put aside one in the um, in the in the Satipatthana Sutta, the, the four foundations of mindfulness, the teaching that the core teaching that the Buddha gave, he talked about a prerequisite, or as we establish mindfulness and as we establish it this weekend, he talked about withdrawing the mind, to withdraw the mind from the preoccupations with the world, from the stresses and strains, from the worries, from the disappointments, for the hankering, for the longings, for the grief for the world, all these ways that, that we sort of unconsciously hanker and long and are disappointed or longing, all these sort of shadowy dimensions of the mind, to put those away, to allow them to, to withdraw the mind from those tendencies so we can establish this practice of awareness here and now, trusting the power of awareness as we receive into our awareness the different energies of our being to heal, to transform, to liberate. It's the first time I've ever used a microphone, so I'm being mindful of this thing pointing in my face. It may take me a moment to get used to it. Um, I'm very thankful Tanisra has invited me on this retreat. The theme is, is a great theme. Let's get it just right. And uh, it's one that interests me a lot. It's a, it's a word that's banded around a lot, isn't it? Mindfulness, you know, obviously, you know, I've heard this, known about this word for a long time. And um, I suppose if, if I'm honest about it, I don't know what it means. Most of the time I feel I don't know what it means. And people talk about it as this simple idea that's easy to appropriate and just be mindful. I, I just before we came down down the stairs, we were reading an article, and um, it said something like, "You know, there's nothing mysterious about mindfulness. It's simply a process of paying attention to what's arising and passing away." Uh, and I said to Tanisara, "That's really not how I experience it at all. Because for me, the process of becoming mindful immerses me more and more into an experience of mystery, and so." Um, uh, it's, there's nothing simple about that. Um, it, it, it's not the appropriation of a simple method, a simple technique that I can then, um, you know, uh, carry away and think that I've got. In fact, the more I work with mindfulness, the more I feel I, I, I don't really 
I mean, I have a lot to say about it, but I can't, I can't pinpoint, I couldn't possibly say in simple words what it is. So we have an opportunity then to reflect around it, to unpack it, and begin to, to explore what it's about. And uh, as, uh, as uh, Tanisha was saying, part of the process then and, and, and our requirement then is, is this discipline that we have, the discipline of this form, despite the fact that it's pretty alien, it's pretty weird, certainly for some of you who have, who, who have never been here before, but you have to understand that the cultivation of mindfulness does require disciplines and it requires a resi- uh, uh, going against the flow of worldliness because worldliness requires that we get involved in all the particular stuff and then we necessarily and appropriately have to get involved but it has a certain momentum the world has a tremendous momentum to pull us out into things and that's the flooding that we're talking about this this idea of being pulled out from what is our essential core and being pulled into this experience of fragmentation and dissatisfaction and essentially disorientation so the result of of not knowing mindfulness and not understanding mindfulness is a felt sense of disorientation and then we, we, we adopt all sorts of strategies inside of ourselves to compensate for that. We could discuss you know those strategies for a long time. Basically, in a broad stroke, you could say addictions. <laughs> so this is what addictions are, uh, uh, a replacement for the... the the uh, serenity and centeredness of that mindfulness gives us. Give me a moment here. I'm not used to such large groups. So, we're, uh, as I say, so discipline's important, and so putting a marker down about what we're doing is very important. You know, we have to uh, make clear determinations and signal to ourselves, to our, to our subconscious, what we're what we're about. Which is why we have the shrines. We have a certain amount of ritual because we're creating a focus. We're creating something that we're revolving around. And for me, the image of revolving around a center is is key, is essential to the idea of mindfulness. So. This is why we have a shrine, and this is why I'm going to be doing some chanting, because chanting is a way of ritualizing and giving concrete expression in voice to this, um, this inquiring into mindfulness. So I understand, for some of you, chanting may be very alien. I mean, it's alien to me. You know, I wasn't brought up in, in Asian society. I'm going to be chanting in Pali. Pali is the language uh, of... of um, uh, early Buddhist scripture, um, but having done it uh, for many years, I feel it's uh, it's an important aspect of what this practice is about. So I would just ask you to keep an open mind about what it's about. You don't have to you don't have to like it. I wouldn't necessarily ask you to accept that it's necessary or you know, or for you, but also I would ask you just not to generate any negativity around it if you can possibly be mindful of any negativity that arises or any doubt or any any other sort of feeling you may have about it. 
And what we're going to be chanting about, what I'm going to be chanting, and maybe we will get to learn this chant, is uh, the three refuges. In in Buddhism, uh, we call the three refuges the triple gem. It's usually translated as the triple gem. So you get this image of something of uh, intrinsic value that's indestructible, has the quality of light, solidity and light simultaneously, which is a very interesting sort of image to hold around the whole idea of mindfulness. It's a, it's a, the, the idea of the triple gem is actually a useful idea. Um, to hold as an image, um, the first of the triple gems then is, uh, is Buddha. These are uh, the, the, the ideas that the triple gems are refuges or places of safety or is a place where we find a felt sense of resolution, a felt sense of rendering everything okay in the face of a, a, a life where, if we're honest about it, and you'll probably discover this in your meditation, most of the time, actually, it doesn't quite feel okay. You could always be a little bit more okay than it actually is, which is a tremendous source of stress for us. So, so realizing the refuges makes everything okay. This is the the goal. This is the possibility that's being offered to us by this idea of refuge. So the first then of the refuges is uh, this idea of Buddha. Uh, it's often translated as awareness, which is another one of those words that you know we use all the time, but if we're honest about it, we probably aren't actually very sure what it really means. Um, so in that sense, I just want to put out there for you that it's okay not to be sure about what mindfulness means, and it's okay you feel you're not quite getting it I'm not quite getting what awareness is I'm not quite getting what mindfulness is well that's probably honest and true and, and actually not far off the point <laughs> so it's, it's the you that wants to get it that's really the problem that's really what it's about and, and that's what needs to be understood so Buddha then is about waking up it's the waking up principle we use the word awareness. Um, one of the issues I have about simply using the word awareness around the idea of Buddha is that it has a slightly passive connotation. The, the yes, awareness is a an aspect of the Buddha. It's it's, it's fundamentally a refuge, but uh, in the original word Buddha it has the connotation of intelligence as well, and that intelligence is is a is born out of reflecting on in an honest way, in a direct way, our actual experience. And, and so um, there is a cognitive aspect to it. There's a process of understanding, but it's an understanding that's substantial or is born out of being in touch with the way things are. So, you know, simple principles like arising and passing away uh, simple principles such as suffering and the cessation of suffering are understood or seen through uh, through the uh, the taking of refuge and the and the realizing of Buddha ref- the, the, the refuge of of the Buddha and and what is being reflected on is the second refuge it's sometimes called uh, in, in Pali it's called Dhamma um, sort of the sort of kind of usual way of translating it might be you know the way things are or the law of the way things are or, or the universal laws or whatever. So, uh, Dhamma then is another of those words where don't think you're actually going to 
get a, a neat package that's going to enable you to go away from here thinking you've got it because I've been trying to get it for 30 years and I've given up trying to get it, which is a relief. <laughs> but um, uh, So Dhamma then is, is what is realized, what is made real or what, is come to, what we come to know, what becomes a refuge when we begin to reflect on our experience directly and um, begin to let go of this structure of consciousness, which I'm calling it a structure of consciousness, which is worldliness or... Uh, uh, you know the convention of understanding things in terms of language and you know all the particular fragments of things that are out there so as be- as we begin then to go against the momentum of that there's a process of translation that happens where you know the me and the you and and you know and my job and my house and all the sort of ways that we 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 generally think falls away and we begin to experience um, um, our life in terms of dhamma as opposed to in terms of name and form and conversations in our head. So we are actually uh, we're actually moving into a sort of a deeper place. Um, it's it's not as partial. It's not as fragmented. It's not as uh, it's not as ephemeral as as the arising and passing away of worldly perceptions, worldly understanding. And just to ground that for those of you who are new, the, that, that reflection on Dhamma is not, does not start with things out there, but it always is in reference to the physical body, this very body that we assume we know, we assume we understand, um, uh, and the feelings within the body that we assume we, we, we are sort of familiar with, you know, and they cause us a certain amount of problem, but it's sort of generally familiar territory. The proposition then is that this very body that you think is yours is the very thing that hasn't been understood. It's actually unconscious, not fully conscious. So in terms of, of taking refuge in the Dhamma, then it's a process of coming to know this very body that's sitting on the mat. So it's not it's not sort of out there up in the clouds. It's it's through this very concrete form. That's where the practice is grounded. So that's the Buddha. The Buddha knowing the Dhamma. So the Buddha or his awareness coming into the body, sensations of the body, you know, and the sort of more energetic level of the sort of ground of being and all of these things. This is where the Dhamma is seen, this is where the Dhamma is understood. And the third, then, of the refuges that we're going to be chanting about is is Sangha. Uh, It's generally uh, translated as a community of practitioners. Uh, There's a fourfold Sangha, that is, the people who have gone forth, taken, uh, taken, um, uh, committed to a life of renunciation, where they they make a full renunciation of worldliness and um, uh, create this uh, monastic community of monks and nuns. But it is a fourfold sangha, so the opportunity also exists for for men and women who are not monks and nuns to engage in this practice. And the the process of practicing then as a community is very supportive. We support each other in the disciplines. Um, 
there's sort of other things about it which you know are you know Jesus said if two three more of you meet in my name I'll be there amongst you it brings it's like a battery we generate more awareness through working together so that's why it's very heartwarming actually to see such a large group of you here uh, it should be a good retreat <laughs> so that's the refuges so that's what I'm going to be chanting the chant is um a little bit tricky. It's not the easiest mantra or chant that you'll probably ever have heard. But you're not obliged to join in if you don't want to. You can just sit and listen. That's fine. And those of you who want to join in, don't feel self-conscious about it and all the rest of it, you're welcome to as long as you make some effort to stay in tune. And <laughs> Be mindful of the pace and the the tone and everything. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.